from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, here are words that you rarely hear spoken on the broadcast media or even the podcast media or the schmodcast media. The words are, I don't know what to think. And I really don't. I mean, I know that, I know from my own personal experience, and if you've you've seen uh, my documentary on uh, the flood in New Orleans, you, you know what I'm talking about, that the guys and gals in the national media sometimes don't want to walk back their first reporting on a story when later facts might be conducive to doing so. So I, I, I come at this not with the sense that the media is the enemy of the people or anything like that, but, you know, I'm, a, I'm an extremely unstable genius. And so I, I just don't know what to think when, didn't know what to think, really, when this week somebody on either Twitter or email, you can contact me either way. Don't try to reach me on Facebook. Homie, don't do no Facebook. But uh, somebody sent me a link to a report. The report had just been released, even though it had been written some time ago. And it was apparently not supposed to be released to the public. It was from uh, an engineering team examining what we were told was a chemical weapons attack in Duma, last year. Uh, The Organization for the Prevention of Chemical Weapons, the OPCW, an international organization, reported that it was a a poison gas attack. But apparently, there was a dissenting 15-page assessment of two of the cylinders which had supposedly contained chlorine. A uh, dissenting engineering report which uh, disagrees with the opinion, the conclusion that we learned from the OPCW last year, which is these canisters were dropped by an aircraft, which led to the further conclusion that it was a poison gas attack by the Syrian regime. The dissenting assessment, which the OPCW never referred to in its published report, found that there's a, quote, higher probability that both cylinders were manually placed at these two locations rather than being delivered from aircraft, unquote. Somebody on the ground put them there to make them look like they'd... That's the... So that's the conclusion in the dissenting report, which was never supposed to be made public until it was released this week. And I looked to see who was going to pick up the story. It seemed like a story worthwhile picking up. Oh, hey, maybe that wasn't. No, only Robert Fisk in the independent newspaper in London. He's their Middle East correspondent. Uh, He picked up on this story. Now, you know, I read the I, I read as far as I could in this engineering report. I taught myself a little bit about understanding some engineering in order to do that movie about the uh, flood, the documentary about the flood. But I I really, there's no way I could um, evaluate what I was reading. I don't know, I don't know from, 
you know, force and canisters. So I uh, put out a call on Twitter. Any engineers in my shamefully low count of 139,000 followers, any engineers out there who want to opine on this? Nope. Crickets and tumbleweeds. Um, I've not heard any um, anywhere in the in the media anything about this because you know we 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 did that narrative. So um, I I put it, I, I put it to you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This exists. You may not have known about it before this broadcast, and no, I don't know what to think. Hello, welcome to the show.
from New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm Harry Shearer. I I know enough. I know what I think about welcoming you to this edition of the show. I know. I, I, I believe in that. And I believe in news of the godly. And the spotlight shines on Buffalo, New York. Because the sun don't. Hardly any more, any of the more than 100 Buffalo area priests implicated as child molesters spent as much as one day in jail, as according to the Buffalo News, which is my go-to source for news about Buffalo. I, I'm just wacky that way. For years, most of their victims were too scared or embarrassed to make complaints. Buffalo police, though, had marching orders. I didn't know police still marched, but they had marching orders not to arrest Catholic priests. Can't say it any more slowly than that. According, this is according to former Vice Squad Detective Martin Harrington and other retired officers interviewed by the Buffalo News, because they were in Buffalo. Instead of arresting Catholic priests, they alerted the bishop's office to uh, any such allegations. The department, quote, the department's unwritten policy, because you don't want to write this stuff down, was that Catholic priests did not get arrested, said Harrington. He investigated vice crimes, oh, for 17 years, and retired about uh, 24 years ago. I never had any experience with priests who molested children. I never heard of any priests molesting children, but we had priests we caught with pornography or masturbating in the city parks. And our orders were to turn them over to the diocese. The diocese would deal with them, but they would not be arrested. That's a quote from Harrington. So, but don't be don't be lingering in the city parks in Buffalo. Is my the policy only extended to Catholic priests? He said, if we caught clergy from other religions, we arrested them. He doesn't say how many they caught from other religions. His recollection was echoed by. His former vice squad lieutenant, Martin Jurowitz, quote, When I joined the vice squad in 1968, the department had just changed its policy on priests. You used to just let them go. Starting around 1968, when you picked up a priest, you had to call the bishop's office. Recall Jurowitz, who retired in 2002. The bishop's office would send someone to pick up the priest. Pick up the priest! No arrest was made. The diocese handled these problems. Well, of course they would. They're handlers. Harrington was one of several retired Buffalo officers who told the Buffalo News that they don't recall the diocese ever reporting a priest to the police department for molesting a child. A year after the clergy abuse scandal erupted in Boston, about 16 years ago, the Buffalo diocese signed an agreement with district attorneys in western New York promising for the first time to report to prosecutors any allegations against priests involving sexual misconduct of minors. But here's the nutty part. The Buffalo News, which, just to remind you, covers news in Buffalo, could find no record of Buffalo police ever charging a priest with molesting a child in the past half century. Oh, to be a priest in Buffalo. You know, for one thing, the parks are... News, news of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, if you are of a mind, it's enough to make you stop and think. 
Just if you were a mind to. And now, well, that was that again. That was really that again. And uh, we don't need to go there again because the policy hasn't changed. But now, it's time for news of the warm. It's just, just check your watch. You'll, you can tell me that. It's the award-winning news of the warm, of course. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Okay, so the people who um, don't believe in all this, they know what to think, but they don't believe in, in um, what has been adduced on the scientific record. Think the uh, scientists have been too alarmist. On the other hand, here's a report that says the consensus of the UN has been not alarmist enough. Global sea levels could rise by 6.5 feet and displace tens of millions of people by the end of this century. That is according to new projections that double the estimates by the UN consensus. The vast ice, sheet, ice, ice sheets, I said ice sheets of Greenland and Antarctica contain enough frozen water, that's ice to you and me, to lift the world's oceans dozens of meters. Those are feet to you and me. The expansion of water as oceans warm also contributes to sea level rise. Predicting the rates at which they will melt as the planet heats is notoriously tricky. That's advice given us to, given to us by fizz.org. Fizz with a PH, not a ZZ. The United Nations panel on climate change said it's in its uh, 2013 assessment report in that report that under current business as usual scenarios sea level would rise by up to 3.3 feet by 2100. That prediction has since been viewed as conservative except by conservatives. See the irony there. The levels of planet warming, greenhouse gas emissions continue to rise year upon year. Satellites show accumulated and accelerated rates of melt-off from massive ice sheets atop Antarctica and Greenland, soon to be slopping alongside them. A group of the world's leading ice scientists this week, ice scientists this week, I said, released an expert judgment on the situation. Still a significant margin of error. Hey, that's life. They found it, quote, plausible, unquote, that under the business-as-usual scenario of emissions, sea level rises could exceed 6.5 feet by 2100. That is just about double. The author said the area of land lost to the ocean could be equivalent to losing France, Germany, Spain, and Britain combined. Well, why don't we just lose and place this place more than 180 million people? We got room for them... Um, Western Canada, a sea level rise of this magnitude would clearly have profound consequences for humanity, said this panel. Uh, last October, October, Rocktober to you and me, the uh, panel on climate change of the UN released a landmark report that called for a drastic and immediate drawdown in coal, oil and gas consumption. That worked. That report didn't include the revised estimates of sea level rise. Earth has already heated up almost two degrees Fahrenheit since pre-industrial times, contributing roughly three millimeters to sea levels every year. The authors of the new study, released in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences is all, argue that the IPCC's sea level rise prediction was too constrained by focusing on what was likely to happen. 
they opened the lens to wider probabilities, a 5 to 95% likelihood. They found that uh, with 2 degrees centigrade of warming, seas could rise 14 to 50 inches by 2100. In a world warmed by 5 degrees Celsius, unlikely but not impossible given projected fossil fuel demand in the coming years and uh, the great concerted effort to reduce fossil fuel use, which you and I have not seen, they calculated a 5% risk of sea levels surpassing 6.5 feet higher, topping out at 7.8 feet. So get your wellies. We're in for a fun one. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Copyright feature of this broadcast. I am not... um, Let's talk about age cohorts for a moment. Um, Because I uh, uh, am and was of the the boomer variety. And um, I always thought that... um, no generation had set its sights higher and uh, ultimately slumped lower than uh, the boomer generation. So uh, it, it it never occurred to me, as it has to uh, some of the more uh, devout boomers, to cast aspersions necessarily at uh, the millennials. It turns out, they may be smarter than we than we thought. Even the most uh, pessimistic boomers about the millennials may have to uh, revise their estimate of these folks upwards because, according to a new report, they're the least likely to put Internet of Things stuff in their house. This according to informationage.com. Two in five millennials said they're fearful. It's smart so-called, I'm not going to fall for this anymore. It's going to be so-called smart devices. That's the style book on this show. I recommend you adopt it, too. Quote, so-called smart, unquote, devices in their homes. Fearful, I say, that uh, these devices know too much about them, millennials. That's two in five compared to just 29% of 35 to 44-year-olds. Was that Gen Y? They ran out of letters. It's going to be double double letters for the next generation. Gen LL. New research from an R&D and Global Innovation Center locked inside the consultancy Accenture. That research reveals that despite millennials being among the biggest users of so-called smart technology, they are more nervous than any other age group about using it in the home. They'll wear their Fitbit out, you know, on the public streets. According to the report, while millennials see positive benefits of so-called smart home technology, such as the belief they make life easier and more fun, so much fun to turn your lights on by your phone until you lose your phone. Honey, where do we... They have significant concerns, do these millennials. Of the millennials surveyed in the UK, your British millennials, 55% said they find this technology intrusive compared to a national average of only 48%. Nearly half the country thinks it's too intrusive. Anyway, that's the good news for the industry. And 40% of the millennials said they are too dependent on the technology. 
only 29% of the next most concerned group, the 35 to 44s, felt they're too dependent. 29 to 40. The research uncovered a number of reasons for this. How about common sense? How about looking at <laughs> at the news? Two in five millennials say they're fearful that smart de- so-called smart devices in their homes know too much about them. Yeah, that we just had that. You printed that d- statistic twice, sir. The majority of millennials, 65%, do not trust that the data collected on them by the devices in the home is stored securely. And they got their thinking caps on. The most open group, open as another word for gullible, you might say, accepting of so-called smart technology, because, you know, why not, is um, over 65s. The boomers, the early boomers, the, 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 uh, f- the front edge of the boomers, not only are they most likely to trust their information is being collected and stored securely, <laughs> 46%. Their concerns around the isolating effects of technology are also lower than any other age group. But they trust information. But they all, all, not even a majority of boomers, only 46% think it's, this is the good news for the industry. This, as future homeowners and potential smart home customers, this is an official at Accenture's research facility that made this report, Younger generations are a crucial market, but this research shows that brand understanding of this group's anxieties around technology is limited. Rationalizing the fears of millennials around dependency, intrusiveness, and isolation will be vital to the product design strategy of the future. Those age 65 and over emerge as an avenue for opportunity. Sell a crap to the, to the codgers. They won't know. There is no single technological solution to the future home, said Claire Carroll, the same person. But to design smart home products that will have longevity, companies need to better understand what's happening in the black box of their consumer's behavior in the home. What about the black box in your technology? How about that black box? Huh? She's not answering. This means understanding consumer attitudes through their various life stages. What the idea of home actually means to them. (laughs) It means a place where people aren't listening in. I think that's what it means. I mean, it's a place where it's just you and your family. I'm just there. It's just a guess at what home might mean. And getting a better appreciation of their surprising behavior behind the front door. Yeah, it's surprising when they close it and lock it that they think that that means they're alone with the, with their fo- with they folks. That's so surprising. Um. It's a smart home, ladies and gentlemen, if you want it to be. And by that, I mean so-called smart. And now... I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, are you. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. A new study has shown how microplastics can clog the hair-like baleen in the mouths of baleen whales. The whales sift huge amounts of water with their baleen, swallowing krill, plankton, and small fish. The baleen is made of the same stuff as human hair and nails. Researchers from Hampton-Sydney College wrote 
Ingestion of microplastics may pose a greater risk to whales than ingestion of oil. We found the baleen filter is highly effective in trapping and accumulating small plastic particles. So plastic is both more likely to clog the filter and also more likely perhaps to be ingested by whales than oil. Why would whales ingest oil? They make oil. They get oil from whales. They eat, they're eating themselves. Plastic makes up nearly 70% of all ocean litter, putting countless aquatic species at risk. But there is a tiny bit of hope. Scientists have discovered that microscopic microbes in the sea are eating away at the plastic, causing the trash to slowly break down like we didn't think they would. This is from Science Magazine. Researchers collected weathered plastic from two different beaches in Greece. Litter had undergone chemical changes, exposure to the sun, causing it to become more brittle, which needs to happen before the microbes start to munch on it. Pieces were polyethylene or polystyrene. You got your, they, the microbes had, their, I guess, their choice of polys. Both types of plastic lost a significant amount of weight after being exposed to the microbes. Some were naturally occurring. Some were enhanced with carbon-eating microbe strains, engineered microbes. I'd like my microbes engineered, please, bartender. This is uh, reported in the Journal of Hazardous Materials. I read it for the danger. The microbes further changed the chemical makeup of the plastic material, causing the polyethylene's weight to go down by 7%, polystyrene's weight to go down by 11%. These findings may offer a new strategy to help combat ocean pollution, but researchers will need to measure how effective these microbes would be on a global scale. So get to it, guys. And the Mediterranean has a new island. It's a giant patch of floating plastic trash accumulating off the coast of Corsica. This is from uh, ifiscience.com. Researchers have noted that island gathered between Corsica and the Italian island of Elba, reported by France Bleu, France Bleu, a local public radio broadcaster. Please give. Unlike the famous Great Pacific garbage patch and the notorious plastic islands of the Atlantic, which I didn't even know about, did you? This island is believed to be only a temporary accumulation zone driven by currents that have been worsened by freak weather conditions. Not Greek freak weather conditions, just freak. The situation shows the extent of plastic pollution affecting the Mediterranean's otherwise picturesque waters. So don't be taking a picture of them now. Don't, I don't know what it looks like. There's no picture here. In a huge report last year, the World Wildlife Fund, as you may remember, warned that the Mediterranean runs the risk of becoming a sea of plastic. Oh, you wouldn't remember that. I didn't, I didn't remember it. With increasing levels of pollution from microplastics threatening the ecosystem. The Mediterranean said that report has a concentration of over 1.25 million plastic fragments per square kilometer of the sea. Just 1% of the world's waters are in the Mediterranean, but 7% of the global microplastics. Primarily because the Mediterranean coast is home to a lot of people. And Europe, did you know this? Europe is the second largest producer of plastics in the world, rivaled only by China. That's right. We're not even number one at that. <sighs> wow. U.S. isn't even the world's leading producer of plastic anymore. <sighs> I give up. Oh. And then I wow. I say wow. I say Wow.
It was going to start eventually. Down in the city, it's a pity what's fair. Oh, the kids in the gutter running really bare. How much money do I have to get? To get me set where the jet set gets. Like up on the hill where the doo-doo the boogie. I wonder what they're doing when they do do the boogie, and I wonder what I'm doing here. Now down in the city, if you ain't dead, you better watch that man. He's gonna bust your head, or throw you over, and leave you alone. He's a 20 minutes late, he gotta be back home. Way up on the hill where they do the boogie. I wonder what they're doing when they do do the boogie, and I wonder what I'm doing here. The rats in the alley and a roach on the floor, a businessman a-hunting for a two-bit whore. I thought I heard some housewives say, I gotta go up the hill for the PTA. Meets up on the hill where they do the boogie. I wonder what they're doing when they do the Now some folks say that a hippie won't steal But I caught three in my cornfield One had a flag and the other had a bomb And the third old boy was getting on home Way up on the hill where they do the boogie The boogie I wonder what they're doing when they do the boogie And I wonder what I'm doing here now all I know about is what I read I see you coming at me on a TV screen Every time the boogie, well, it gives me a thrill But they always seem to do it way up on the hill Way up on the hill where they do the boogie The boogie I wonder what they're doing when they do the boogie And I wonder what I'm doing here From New Orleans, this is Le Show. Um, ladies and gentlemen, an International Labor Union Federation has derided difficult working conditions at some of the sites where they're building the Tokyo Olympics. Yes, it's news of the Olympic movement. And an IOC inspection team took a routine tour of the venues being built just after that report. The IOC officials will be meeting in Tokyo this week, not with uh, the president, <laughs> the president, but with local organizers where labor issues will be on the agenda. Rising costs are on that agenda, too. Worries about summer heat when the games open in little more than a year are on the agenda. And complaints about cost-cutting from international sports federations. The labor report was titled The Dark Side of the Tokyo Olympics, focusing on labor issues at the new national stadium and the Olympic Village, the two centerpiece venues. Japan, with an aging and declining population, I think declining in numbers, is shorthanded in many industries. The government has provided visas for construction workers tied to the Olympics and started allowing more foreign workers to reside in the country. Let's all go to Japan! The critical report had been sent to the IOC president, Thomas Bach, trying to find remedies. Uh, this from the uh, head of the 
Building and Woodworkers Union, Ambet Yusan, he said he had not received a response from the Tokyo government, which is building the Olympic Village, nor the Japan Sports Council building the stadium. They said they're reviewing the report and uh, couldn't be awakened. The workers interviewed complained about a pervasive culture of fear. Well, at least they got a culture that discouraged speaking out. Well, they could be they could be working in the nuclear industry then. At Hanford, why don't you guys? It said almost half of the workers interviewed did not have formal contracts. Oops, and it found dangerous patterns of overwork at both of the uh, high-profile venues. Some workers at the Olympic Village reported working 28 consecutive days, and up to 28 straight, and up to 26 straight at the National Stadium. Said uh, the head of the union. Some problems were made worse with tight Olympic deadlines and the pressure to finish on time. Well, you know, when you, uh, when you got a deadline. The situation is even worse, he says, with so-called interns or migrant workers with issues, language, employment contracts, and immigration issues. Massive overtime in construction is a really big problem in Japan, he said. Two workers have already died on Tokyo Olympics projects. The uh, labor organization last interviewed workers... This past February. Death by overwork, they got a word for it in Japan. Karoshi. Karoshi. It's a problem in Japan with employees often forced to work long hours despite government measures to try to prevent it. Please don't, Karoshi. Tokyo organizers also say they're trying to cut spending, which drew angry responses earlier this month at a meeting of sports federations. One federation had she feared a cheap look in Tokyo as organizers try to cut items they view as decorative that might be out of the view of the cameras. We don't want a cheap-looking Olympics, do we? Tokyo appears to be well-financed. The $5.6 billion privately funded operating budget is twice as large as that for Rio. In addition, that's $5.6 billion, but in addition, the local and national governments are chipping in $15 billion more to update infrastructure. It's Infrastructure Week in Japan, and get the country ready when the games open. That's worth it. You want the country ready, don't you? Come on. You do. Who doesn't? It's because it's a movement. We all need one every day. I know that. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time to uh, talk about (laughs) the President of the United States, (laughs) President President Trump. Um, First of all, there was a story in the Washington Post this week about life aboard Air Force One. I don't know if you uh, happened to see it. It was, um, well, it focused on a, a couple of things. First of all, Air Force One has not been fitted out. And this is, I guess, the new one. I think they, they already swapped the uh, Obama Air Force One for the Trump <laughs> Trump Air Force One. Uh, it has not been fitted out the way even most business class commercial aircraft are if they're flying trans-oceanic or even transcontinental. No flatbeds. Seats don't go into beds. So there's there's one bed that's in uh, the president's little room, and everybody else either uh, scrunches up on a couch or puts their feet up on a stool in a chair, or a couple are reported to bring yoga mats to try to uh, deal with the floor. Um, and there's a lot of 
gossip about uh, the president doesn't sleep a lot on these on these flights, like his long flight to Tokyo that he took this weekend. Um, so he stays up watching TV, mainly uh, reruns of Fox News. Well, not reruns. He has a DVR, so he's catching up with Fox News and the other channels, too. He likes to say he doesn't, but he does, because that's how he knows they're fake news. Anyway, back on the ground, before he left on his trip, the uh, president had this uh, walkout of a meeting with Democratic congressional leaders, including Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and uh, a round of really impressive name-calling followed, where both the president and uh, Speaker Pelosi intimated in terms that weren't really intimating, were blunter than intimating, that the other is uh, losing a certain set of marbles. Uh, the president was said by many of the participants in the meeting, of course most of them were Democrats because he wasn't meeting with any Republican leaders, to uh, to have been kind of a temper tantrum. He said he was. He, the meeting was called to discuss paying for the big infrastructure program, which apparently is not going to happen now. And he just said, I'm not going to do this as long as you're having these phony investigations. Uh, slammed the table reportedly and walked out and then held a, an angry press conference immediately afterwards. The story was then circulated by the White House, uh, amplified by Kellyanne Conway, among others, that he was calm. And I mean, that wasn't a tantrum. He, he didn't slap. It was very calm is the story now. Um, and the president himself said, I, I, I don't do, th- I'm, and he'd, he'd up the ante. He'd, uh, earlier in his presidency had referred to himself as a very stable geni- genius. He now up the ante. He said this week, he's an extremely stable genius. And, um, this week also, he announced that he was unilaterally authorizing the attorney general, Bill Barr, who had been criticized for his summary, not summary of the Mueller report to, um, declassify whatever he wants to in looking into the beginnings of the probe into Russian uh, involvement in the 2016 American election. He can declassify whatever he wants, much to the possible chagrin of the intelligence agencies whose whose pride and joy had been, we, we do the classifying, we do the declassifying. Nobody else does. Well, that's that's all changed. So that's one version of events. Here's another. This week, for the first time, somebody's not well. And for the businessman turned chief executive, the big job has become proving that that somebody isn't him. Mr. Attorney General, did I get you up? Uh, uh, Sorry, Mr. President. I do normally go to sleep around midnight. Well, it's not midnight where I am. Anyway, sleep is for losers. (laughs) Well, I I don't sleep all that much at my age. I never did. My dad told me when you're sleeping is when other people get ahead of you. Ah, Well, that's a very good piece of advice, sir. I'll think about passing it on to my kids. So, Mr. Attorney General, Uh I've talked to you big time this week. Most respected, widely respected, totally respected... Laid it on thicker than red sauce at Fat Tony's house. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful for your expressions of support, sir. I mean, anybody who's watching Fox News, by now they think you're the greatest attorney general since, uh, I don't know, 
Says Lincoln. Had he been Attorney General. Thank you, sir. Well, if and... he wasn't, he should have been. Uh -huh. Hell of a lawyer. So look, Bill, mm. I just want you to understand your task. It's mega important to the team. Like, super mega. Believe me. Uh, I, I think I understand it pretty... When, when I gave you the power to declassify, it's like I've given you the biggest stick any president has had since, uh, at least Roosevelt, right? Teddy. The guy with the stick! Mm -hmm. So, you need to understand how to use it. You need, like, a user's manual for your stick. Okay, sir. It's not like you declassified just for the hell of it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This stuff was top secret for a reason, so you need a good reason to make it, like, top unsecret. Well, sir, my analysis tells me that we declassified to establish a predicate for any conclusions we may draw as to the nature and motivations behind the start of the uh, witch hunt type investigation into you and Russia. Bill! I'm a builder. Mm -hmm. With the help of Fat Tony, I build stuff, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah. you're building an investigation to get to the bottom of something. Well, what if you can't find the bottom? You know, like, oops, just like Bob Mueller, there's no bottom here. Uh, sir, I feel certain with the investigative tools at my disposal. Tools smooths. Here's the deal. Mm -hmm. When you build Trump Power, a Trump Plaza, a Trump International Hotel and Apartments... You start with the floor. I see. Knowing nothing about buildings, I'd assume you start with the foundation. And then... Don't be a schmuck. You're building a thing with this investigation, right? No. So you use the power of the classified to build your floor, a big, strong floor that nobody can look under, right? Well... That's your task, okay? And let me say this. Don't make me have to draw you a picture. No, sir. I, I, I know what a floor looks like. We have them in there. Not a picture with drawing stuff, a picture with words. A word picture. How about not putting words in my mouth? Can you do it? Can I put words in your mouth? Can you use the declassify to build a floor in which a conclusion can stand gleaming and tall and strong and, you know, hard? Mm. Come on, Bill. Mm -hmm. Don't play special needs with me. Can you do that task I'm equipping you to do? Sir, I'm your attorney general. You can trust me. I'm more trustworthy when I'm not half asleep, but... Okay. You do what you want. I'm staying up. Of course, like all great leaders, he speaks in code. Fortunately, although I don't have any particular cryptographic background to speak of, I do understand code. You wanted to see me, sir? I wanted to see you half an hour ago, Kellyanne. <laughs> I've been waiting so long, my Hannity show feed went into repeat mode. I'm sorry, sir. I was trying to catch a nap on the couch. Mm -hmm. Not very comfortable, is it? <laughs> no, sir. You know, I'm a pretty thoughtful guy, right? You think if I wanted my staff to sleep on my plane, I'd have put in some beds or something? Good point, sir. Did I ever tell you what my dad said about sleeping? Mm-hmm. A few times. When you're asleep, that's Okay, when... okay. I don't need a replay of that, too. So, look. I've been watching the coverage... We really have tamped down that whole temper tantrum thing with Nancy Pelosi, sir. Believe me. Why should I believe you when I can believe my own fake eyes? I'm watching all the coverage. You know that? Mm -hmm. Here's the deal. Nothing's tamped. There's no tamped. Fake news one, tamped zero. 
You know, if we'd had some more Republicans in that room with Pelosi and Schumer and all their colleagues, mm -hmm. we could have had more voices amplifying the message that that you were calm. But even so... You know what? I heard me saying I was calm. Mm -hmm. That was it. Mm -hmm. Big freaking tamp that was. I was my own tamper. Mm -hmm. So, boy, do you ever have a new task. Believe me. You want to know what it is? You want to know what the freaking freaking is? Sir, you... You know I always embrace my tasks, no matter what they are. So you don't really need to... I don't need to what? To stay calm? What am I, too calm for you? You're absolutely fine, sir. Why wouldn't I be? I got investigations coming out of my tuchus. I got Democrat judges setting up coup 2.0. I got Bill Barr being dumber than Michael Cohen when it comes to understanding a New York City-style message. What's not to be fine? So, pardon my eagerness, but... What's my new task? Fly back overnight, do all the Sunday morning shows, send one message. This is one calm father mucker, like mega calm, like maga calm. Go tamp your ass off. I get it. You want me to have a tamper tantrum? Almost made you smile. I hate it when you almost make me smile. Go tamp! Great. When can we land? And tell him I was calm today, too. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We're gonna make being calm great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentus. This week, he's not crazy. You are. Just one thing in mind, it's hey nanny no nanny ninny yo. A good time for to find. A young girl goes a flirting with just one tale to tell. It's hey nanny no nanny ninny yo. A man to wed her well. Consider the corn, consider the wine. One has a day when it's in its prime The other takes years to be sturdy and fine If only the two could just combine Corn wine, corn wine A husband starts a working At the rosy crack of dawn Then it's hey nanny no nanny ninny yo He comes home and mows the lawn A mother gives her children Thing she never had Then it's hey nanny no nanny ninny -o. Then Ole misses dad Consider the corn Consider the wine One's in a hurry, the other takes time One's on a stock, the other's on a vine If only the two could intertwine Corn wine Corn wine An old man sits a wondering about the game his life has played It's hey nanny no nanny ninny -o. He needs both nurse and maid An old woman sits attending To the one she's loved so long It's hey nanny no nanny ninny -o. And an ending for this song Consider the corn, consider the wine One has a day when it's in its prime The other takes years to be sturdy and fine If only the two could just combine Corn wine, corn wine, corn 
And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Germany's Bayer, we call it Bayer, apologized after revelations in France that its subsidiary, Monsanto, had a PR agency collate lists of politicians, scientists, and journalists and their views on pesticides and genetically modified crops. Following an initial review, we understand this initiative has raised concerns and criticism, said the statement. This is not the way Bayer, we say Bayer, seeks dialogue with society and stakeholders. We apologize for this behavior. Take an aspirin. See me in the morning. Fox NFL Sunday host Terry Bradshaw has apologized for offensive comments he made about actor-comedian Ken Jeong during Fox's upfront presentation at the Beacon Theater. I've been there. Bradshaw made mention of having been eliminated from competition on another Fox series, The Masked Singer, by Alan Thicke and the little short guy from Japan. Jeong is a native of Detroit whose parents are South Korean immigrants. I made an insensitive, insensitive remark about Ken, whom I've known for some time, said Bradshaw. I've apologized for my offensive comments. I would like to apologize to the Asian American community for my insensitivity. By the way, it wasn't Alan Thicke, it was his son, Robin. Good work, Terry, all around. Following a lengthy meeting in Nashville, the Tennessee Black Caucus. I'm going to skip that one. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has exonerated a Cree leader who was convicted in 1885 on a charge of treason felony. You know, like Jim Comey's... No. Chief Poundmaker was wrongly accused as being one of the instigators of a brief rebellion, rebellion against the Canadian government. He's now remembered as a diplomat and peacemaker during a turbulent time in the country's history. Did you know Canada had a turbulent time in its history? Wow, they recovered well. The apology came after a long campaign to formally clear his name. Trudeau said Canada recognizes that during his lifetime, Chief Poundmaker was not treated justly nor showed the respect he deserved as a leader of his people. He was a peacemaker who never stopped fighting for peace. The former Crown... Former Cree Nation Chief Blaine Favelle called the apology a step towards reconciliation, and it makes the history of Canada that much more rich. The British government has apologized for the treatment of patients with autism and learning disabilities at Walton Hall, branded tantamount to psychological torture by the opposition Labour Party. Health Minister Carolyn Dinanej, not Budigig, Dinanej, apologized on behalf of the NHS after a BBC program uncovered staff mocking, taunting, intimidating, and repeatedly restraining patients at the hospital in County Durham. One staff member called a patient a fat C, and another described the hospital as a, quote, house of mongs. Chrissy Teigen is truly sorry for spoiling the voice finale for some fans, the 33-year-old model and TV personality apologized after prematurely celebrating husband John Legend's win with his teammate Malin Jarman on the season 16 finale. Truly sorry for spoiling the voice. I thought that since the official account tweeted it, it would be okay, but now I realize it wasn't. You see, the finale aired live on the East Coast, but had not yet aired live in the West. That three-hour delay thing, that's new. 
After weeks of growing outrage, San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott apologized this week for raiding a journalist's home and office in a bid to unmask a confidential source. He admitted the searches were probably illegal and called for an independent investigation into the episode. Police should have done a better job, Scott said in an interview with the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm sorry this happened. I'm sorry to the people of San Francisco. I'm sorry to the mayor. We have to fix it. We know there were some concerns in that investigation, and we know we have to fix it. He didn't apologize to the journalist. Interesting. Hawaiian Airlines says it is deeply sorry for computer glitch that led to dozens of customers being charged hundreds of thousands of dollars in credit card fees this week. A spokesperson for the company said a total of 85 customers had been overbilled on their credit cards, with charges ranging from seventeen five to 674000 One woman said she was mistakenly charged more than 150000 even though she had a $10,000 limit on her credit card. Hawaiian said the problem was due to a glitch in its reservation system. Some buyers who were using miles to purchase a ticket that day were charged not in miles, but in actual dollars. You see, we're experiencing, we're contacting each of these customers who experienced an overcharge and we'll make them whole, said the company. But, you know, it's not like you and I might assume that it always favors the company. Hundreds of Hawaiian Miles customers found they could book for zero miles on Monday as long as they paid for taxes and fees associated with the tickets. Roughly 1,300 tickets were issued this way. The uh, airline then canceled the tickets and refunded the taxes and fees. Days after Natalie Portman disputed claims that she dated Moby two decades ago, claims he stood by, Moby is now issuing an apology. In an Instagram post, he addressed criticisms that he received regarding his new memoir, Then It Fell Apart, in which the dating claims were made. I've realized that many of the criticisms leveled at me regarding my inclusion of Natalie in the book are very valid, he wrote. I also fully recognize it was truly inconsiderate of me not to let her know about her inclusion in the book beforehand. I have a lot of admiration for her. I hate that it might have caused her and her family distress. I tried to beat everyone with dignity and respect. It was truly inconsiderate of me. Also, I accept that given the dynamic of our almost 14-year age difference, I absolutely should have acted more responsibly and respectfully when Natalie and I first met. Almost 20 years ago, he apologized for his behavior. Qatari broadcaster Al Jazeera suspended two journalists over a video that claimed Jews exaggerated the extent of the Holocaust. It deleted the clip, which originally appeared on its social media channel AJ Plus Arabic and all related posts. The spokesman for Israel's foreign minister called the video the worst kind of pernicious evil. Al Jazeera said the post went against its editorial standards, did not name the two staff members who were suspended over the posting of the video. The Museum of Fine Arts in Boston apologized this week after students of color from a Dorchester Middle School said they were subjected to racism by staff and some patrons during a seventh-grade field trip. Not the Black Museum, the Anti-Black Museum. In a letter posted to the museum's website, MFA officials apologized to the students and staff at the Helen Y. Davis Leadership Academy for, quote, a range of challenging and unacceptable experiences that made them feel unwelcome. That is not who we are or want to be. Unquote. It's never who we are. Who is that? Who is who is we? Some students from the charter school were subjected to racist and disparaging comments and treatment from MFA staff and museum patrons, said the school's principal. Let's all go to the museum. A California high school apologized this week for culturally insensitive yearbook photos that showed the Spanish teachers wearing ponchos, sombreros, and fake Mustaches. A high school in Littlestown, Pennsylvania, has apologized after the yearbook club blurred out two teenagers wearing MAGA hats in a yearbook photo. 
the Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns on this radio station next week at the same time. If the creek don't rise. And on your other audio device of choice, whenever you want. Just tell Alexa what you want. She's all about you. And it would be just like the creek not rising, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars Eye Talk t-shirts, and a playlist of the music you hear here. All of that, that cornucopia of goodness, is yours at harryshearer.com. And a different cornucopia is available to you on my Twitter account, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City.